Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Well, thank you, Denny, and the choir this morning. Great job. Good having the choir back, man, on Sunday mornings. And again, just a note, uh, August, you know, we'll be back full board on everything. Man, looking forward to that day. Wednesday night, Sunday school, you name it. It's all back as far as we're concerned in August, so let's uh, um, be preparing for that. Hey, welcome to our online crowd, and uh, those of you watching at Rossville as well, hey, it's great to see all of you there. Thank you so much. I know a lot of people traveling today, and you're watching from your condo, camper, or wherever it may be. Thank you for joining us in today. Hey, uh, Colossians chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, I started this sermon series uh, just the other day, First Things First. We're looking really through the entire book of Colossians, and I'll, I'll preach three sermon series through the book. And so, first things first, and today I want to preach on this subject, get moving, get moving. What are some things that we need to know in the Christian life early on, kind of those foundation things, like, like you know, the first sermon I mentioned, Jesus is a big deal. Obviously, uh, that's true. And so, we're looking at those foundational things that Paul writes in the beginning of the book of Colossians to the church at Colossae. And so here is something he wanted them to know, that they needed to get moving in their Christian life. Like here's one of the first things you have to learn about the Christian life. Hey, look at me. Here's what it is. Here's what you have to know about the Christian life, that it isn't meant to be stationary, stagnant, or lived in retreat. The Christian life is not meant to be stationary, stagnant, or lived in retreat. You are meant to be moving and to be moving forward. Now look, every one of us have been stuck from time to time in the Christian life. And every one of us that have been stuck in the Christian life would admit that being stuck is really not any fun at all. Being stuck is no fun. Just ask the ever given. You know, the Bible says in the last days, perilous times will come. I don't know if we're in the last days or not. It feels like it, but I felt like it should have said in the last days, weird times will come. Because that's kind of where we are, isn't it? Just, man, weird stuff. Uh, the other day, the, um, the, the boat, the ever given. Y'all remember that? Seems like years ago, and it was just March 23rd. That in the Suez Canal, it blocked the, the Ever Given blocked the Suez Canal for six full days. And I'll be honest, I thought that was three weeks. It was only six days that it was blocked. It is a ship that'll hold 20,000 containers. It's 400 meters long. That's 1,300 feet long. And as that was going through the Suez Canal, it was buffeted by strong winds. And you know the story. It ended up wedging itself across the waterway, bowed astern across the canal. And the way it was wedged and where it was wedged, it was absolutely impossible for a ship to get by. Now, Egyptian authorities did say there may have been some technical or human errors. We're just going to assume that for the sake of this story. But come to find out, I didn't know 
The Suez Canal was one of the world's most important trading routes. Opened in 1869, by 2021, there are 50 gigantic ships per day going through the Suez Canal. Get this, 12% of total global trade goes through the Suez Canal. As a matter of fact, they reported that the global economy was losing $400 million an hour. So somebody fact-checked that, and two professors who are professors of global supply chain management, uh, chain management at the University of Toledo, said that number was actually low, that it was closer to $416 million per hour. We're lost while the ever given was stuck. And although we got worried about tissue paper for a moment there, right? Because now we find out our tissue paper is made from trees that come through the Suez Canal. Who knew that? Uh, and so once again, a run began on tissue paper. The, the, the funniest thing about the, um, uh, the ship being stuck were the memes that popped up after that. You know the memes, things, things, like, things like this. I love this one. I love that the boat is stuck because every other piece of global news is so hard to comprehend or explain. The boat is just stuck. Stuff won't go. Boat needs to not be stuck. That's it. <laughs> right? Sometimes you just love the simplicity, right? Boat needs to not be stuck. I love, I love this one. This is maybe my favorite one. Uh, I cannot go to work today. And she's built her own little ever given across her hallway um, at, at home. Uh, I love that. I, I love this one. This one circulated the internet. When that little digger was trying to dig it out, it said, me just trying my best. <laughs> and then finally, this is a nine second video. Somebody actually did a recreation of the, uh, you know, the little tractor trying to dig the evergreen given out. And here it is. Uh, that's exactly what was going on, uh, while they were trying to dig the, uh, ever given out boat is stuck boat need, boat needs not to be stuck and the fact is that's how we all feel in our christian life sometimes right like christian life is stuck christian life needs to not be stuck because we've all been there where it feels like we're not getting anywhere in our christian life we are stuck in in what i would call christian boredom we aren't growing closer we aren't growing more fervent we aren't helping others. We may even be hindering and blocking each other's in their progress. We, we, we're living this lackluster Christian life. And Paul came along and said, it is not supposed to be that way. Our Christian life should be moving. It should not be stagnant. It should not be still. It should not be stationary. It should not be going in reverse. The Christian life should be moving forward. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, he tells us exactly how that's supposed to happen. So would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it? The verses will be on the screen if you don't have your Bibles at home or wherever you may be or in the room. Colossians chapter 1 verse number 9 says this. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We're asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might 
so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Thank you. You may be seated. Here in this passage, Paul lays out this formula in the form of a prayer. And Paul says, here's what I'm praying for you. And I sum it up by saying, get moving. It's a good prayer for us to pray for ourselves. It's a good prayer for us to pray for others. But it's really a good plan for us to get moving in the Christian life. How do we get out of stagnation in the Christian life? How do we get out of staleness in the Christian life? Well, Paul lays down four things that'll help you get moving in the Christian life. Here they are. Number one is this. Paul says, wise up. Wise up. Look what he said in verse number nine. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We're asking that you may be, get this, filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom in spiritual understanding, filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Paul lays out the prayer of where we start in the Christian life. How do we get moving? Well, get this, we get mo- how we get moving starts in our head. Here are the three things he said that filled with the knowledge of his will, wisdom, and all spiritual understanding. Now, let me define those words for you just a moment because it kind of sets the table for what I want to talk about. The word fill there is a Greek word that meant to fill an empty vessel to overflowing. Now, it wasn't a full vessel. It wasn't a vessel that had anything in it. The word literally meant to take a vessel that is empty and fill it, get this, until it overflowed. Now, this is not my sermon, but part of the problem in the Christian life, the reason we can't fill up on God is we have a vessel that's full of everything else in our lives. And Paul said, your life needs to be like an empty vessel that you're going to fill. Fill with what? Fill to overflowing. Fill with what? Fill with, he said, the knowledge of his will. Simplicity, that in simple terms, that means God's direction and plans for our lives. Directions and plans that come from the Holy Spirit. Directions and plans that come from the Word of God. That God's plan for us to get moving is to fill ourselves up all the way with God and his word, filled with the knowledge of his will. But secondly, filled with all wisdom. That word is only used six times in the New Testament, that Greek word. And here's what it means, the practical know-how which comes from God. Practical know-how which comes from God. See, we are not getting this knowledge that we find up here just in order to pass a knowledge test. We get the knowledge from him so that we can put into practice in our daily lives the the knowledge that we've received from God, the knowledge that we've received from his word, the knowledge that we receive from the Holy Spirit. The whole point is for us to learn to be wise and put that knowledge into practice so that our living is better. Then he uses the word spiritual understanding. And, And I didn't know this until I did a little digging. The word literally means a clear analysis and decision-making. Clear analysis and decision-making. 
Now, Paul is saying, I want you to take all of this knowledge you're going to fill up on. I want you to put it in your daily living, and I want you to use it to make decisions in life. Like, like you should be able to analyze what God wants you to do in your life. So I'm going to fill up on his knowledge. I'm going to use it to be wise, and then I'm going to use it to make decisions in my life to the various problems that come into our life. So Paul said this, here's how you get moving in the Christian life. Fill up on his knowledge, put it into practice, help you make decisions, go back and get more knowledge. And when I go back and get more knowledge, I put it into practice, I make better decisions, and I go back and get more knowledge. And I put it into practice, and I make better decisions, and I go back and get more knowledge. Hear me this morning, the goal of the Christian life is not to learn up. The goal of the Christian life is to wise up. What good does it, is it to know something that is life-changing but not put it in practice to actually change our lives? Or in other words, what good is it to own the knowledge but not use the knowledge? And Paul said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to learn about Jesus and then I want you to put it into practice and would you make better decisions? Learn, do, make better decisions. Because what good is it to have all of this learning? And I tell you in the Christian life, what we have are a lot of Christians who want to learn a whole lot about God, but we absolutely do not put it into practice. We own it, but don't know what to do with it. Jack Dorsey, you may have seen this. Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, sold his first tweet as an nft or non-fungible token you say what is a non-fungible token i'll let you google it right but he sold his first tweet for 2.9 million dollars and the tweet said this just setting up my abbreviated twitter he posted it on March 21st, 2006. Now, you ask what an NFT is. It's a digital asset that all of a sudden, like a JPEG or a video clip or a tweet, that all of a sudden can be bought and sold and owned just like a physical asset, like a piece of art. And two guys actually got in a bidding war, two uh, millionaire entrepreneurs, one named Sina Estavi, who wound up bidding $2.9 million to own the tweet. But here's where I get confused. The tweet is still on Jack Dorsey's Twitter. The tweet will always be on Jack Dorsey's Twitter. And you can look at the tweet anytime you want to. You can print it. You can copy it. You can enjoy it. I don't know what that means. You can do anything you want to do. As a matter of fact, I have it up here today. And guess how much I paid for it? Nothing. Nothing. I cannot figure out what the point of owning this tweet is. But in the spirit of not being the get off my lawn guy, right? I don't want to be the old guy in the room, right? In the spirit of being with it, I would today like to auction off my first tweet ever. <laughs> December 11, 2008, enjoying a great rainy day doing pastoral work. And I'd like to start the bidding at, bidding at a cool half million dollars. <laughs> just, just let me know after the service. 
the fact is, the, when you buy this, when you buy this, oops, let me go back, let me buy it. When you, I can't do it, I can't do it. There it is. When you buy this, you own it, hear me, but there's nothing to do with it. You own it, but there's nothing to do with it. And hear me, that's the way a lot of people treat the Christian life and the Word of God. The Holy Spirit speaks into your heart and gives you wisdom. The Word of God speaks into your heart and gives you, gives you wisdom. And all of a sudden, you, you have all this knowledge. Like, here's what you can do. You can pass a Bible test. Like, you know the 66 books of the Bible. You know there are 27 in the New and, uh, and 39 in the Old. Like, you know Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, John. Like, you know all of that stuff. Like, you own the knowledge. But what you're not doing is putting it into practice. Like, what's the point of owning? What's the point of hearing a sermon? What's the point of reading your Bible? What's the point of praying and asking God for direction? In order just to own the information, God is not in the information business. God is in the transformation business. And Paul said, you want to get moving in the Christian life? Wise up. You know what the truth is? Most Christians know far more today than they're actually putting into practice. Uh, the fact is, you, 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 don't, you don't need another sermon. Now, stay with me on this one, all right? I want you. But what have you done with last week's? The fact is, you probably, you should read your Bible. I, ho- I hope you're doing my bi- two-year Bible reading plan. I hope you are. You, you should read your Bible. But the fact is, you, you know a lot more in here. What you're already obeying. It leads me to two questions. If you're going to wise up, let me ask you two questions. One is, how much do you know about God? Like, really, how much do you really know about God? Now, hear me. I don't mean the, well, let me tell you what I think know about God. It's not about what you think. It's about what God has said. Because here's how what I think translates. We say, well, let me tell you what I think. I think God wants me to be happy. Just the weird thing about that is you won't find that really in the Bible anywhere. What you know about God cannot be confined to your Instagram feed. Like if all you know is the verse that Christian people in your life are putting out, that's not really know about God. I'm not asking you uh, how much I know about God or how much the person, I'm asking you how much do you know about God? Because the more you know about God, get this, the more you can put into practice. Which leads me to the second question, how much are you putting that knowledge into practice? How much does the knowledge you already know about the Bible affect your daily living, affect your family, affect your parenting, affect your spousing, affect your work, affect your morality, affect your finances? How much do you already know that you are not doing? If you want to get moving in the Christian life, you have got to wise up. And here's what Paul would say. Take what you know about the Bible, put it into practice, make better decisions, and learn more about God. And when you learn more about God, put it into practice, make better decisions, and then learn some more about God. Second thing he said was not only wise up, but number two, he said measure up. Look look, look at verse number 10 on the screen. He said, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord 
fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God. Here's what Paul said, that the Colossians' lifestyle should be worthy of their high calling. You are a child of God, and you should be living that way, that your behavior, if you're a child of God, your behavior should match the status that you hold as part of God's holy family, that they ought to be following, following God closely so their lives are being transformed to look like Christ, that, that he's trying to say a Christian must be active in order to grow spiritually and live worthy of the Lord. Inactive Christians stagnate and even regress and fall into sin. And so Paul did not hesitate to tell them to urge them to put in extra effort because let me show you this. I, I wish I'd uh, underline them all, but get this. Look at all the verbs in one verse. So that you may walk, pleasing, bearing, work is understood, and growing. You, you've got five action words there in that one single verse because Paul is trying to tell us, hey, you have a reputation to uphold. It's not the preachers. It's not the deacons. And it's not your parents. It's you are to walk worthy of the Lord. And can I tell you this, Christian, that, that when you are identified as a Christian, it is Christ's reputation that you hold in your hand. And by the way, you won't measure up to that sitting on the couch. You measure up to that as you bear fruit in the Christian life and engage the world around you in good works and grow to be more and more like Jesus. And I, I can hear you already saying, but preacher, I've got too much going on in my life already. My life is so out of control. I don't have the time or the energy to look like Jesus, act like Jesus, or work for Jesus. And we go back to the problem of the empty vessel. The reason we cannot walk worthy of the Lord is we have way too much clutter in our lives. Things that don't matter. Uh, you say, does that really affect my Christian life, I, I read a story this week that um, Cornell University did a study on the impact of clutter on your health and specifically how much you snack while you're in the kitchen. Here, here's what they discovered, that they had some subjects cook in a clean and tidy kitchen and another group cooked in a kitchen that had mail and papers and just kind of junk everywhere. In both cases, snacks were provided, the exact same snacks were provided to both uh, groups of cooks. But here, get this, in the cluttered kitchen, chefs ate 44% more snacks than in the clean kitchen. And Dr. Wansink, who did, the, who did the study, said this, if your environment is out of control, you may not feel the need to be in control of your eating either. If your environment is out of control, it may lead to out of control conduct. And can I tell you, you can apply that directly to this verse because a disorderly life will lead to undesirable conduct. 
Some of you want to live for Jesus. The problem is not that you're involved in great sin. You want to get moving. The problem is not that you're in some big sin. The problem is you just have a cluttered life with it. And I'm not talking about your house. I'm talking about your life. We got everything going on but Jesus. It's time you got your priorities straight. It's time you stopped some things. The greatest word most Christians need to learn is the word no to something other than the kingdom of God. It's time you organize some things in your life. It's time you put more energy and resources into measuring up to Christ, walking worthy of the Lord in the Christian life. You need to measure up to him. We have a standard in the Christian life, and the standard's name is Jesus. That means, there it is, you should walk worthy of being called a Christian. Let me ask you this morning, would people around you be shocked if they found out you went to church? Oh, it's happened even here. It's happened all my ministry. I'll, I'll go out and uh, I'll be out and about somewhere and I'll, I'll meet somebody and I'll invite them to church. I normally don't tell them I'm the pastor. I just say, hey, uh, man, I'd love for you to come to our church sometime. Uh, Peavine out there and 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 we'll get in a conversation and i'll say something like well where, where do you tell me where you work just trying to make a good conversation and, and they'll tell me the place and i say oh I, i've got i've got two or three church members that work there and every now and then somebody says well i didn't know they went to church walk worthy of the lord Walk pleasing the Lord. Walk bearing fruit. Walk growing in the Lord. That's a lot of work. Get moving so that you can measure up, not not what the preacher wants you to do, not what the standard the preacher set. I'm not setting standards. Those are set by the Lord. How do I get moving? Number one, you wise up. Number two, you measure up. Number three, you power up. Colossians 1.11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience joyfully spiritual strength that third factor that results from knowing god's will and pleasing him we become strengthened with all his power according to his glorious might there's actually five words in there and there are three that have to do with power and there are three results of the power you know oftentimes when the bible uses the word power the greek word is where we get our word dynamite from it comes in several forms the first two words in here uh, the root word of strengthen and the root word of power is where we get our word dynamite from they have shades of meaning that are different for example the word strengthen there means to have strength the word power there means a spiritual vitality the word might is the word kratos in the greek and it means a power that can overcome resistance so we've got strength we've got spiritual vitality we we can overcome obstacles that are in our way and when we have those things from the lord it gives us two things endurance and joyful patience endurance and joyful patience endurance meaning to not succumb to suffering patience that that means we don't retaliate when we're done wrong and once i wise up and measure up then it's time to power up these are the words that are used of a strong christian now hear me it takes a power beyond us to be strong in christ it's a power that comes from him 
And so think of it this way. God has not sent his son into the world to die for our sins so we could be saved and be weak, anemic, pitiful, easily defeated, easily discouraged, fall back when the devil says, boo, Christians. God has saved us and then invest his power in us through the Holy Spirit so that when we say boo, the devil jumps, not us. He saved us and he vested into us so we could have that power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Get this, so you can live in victory, so you can have strength in your wall, so you can have spiritual vitality, overcome resistance in the Christian life, not give up or give in to suffering. He saved us and invested in us so we could power up and get moving for the cause of Christ. The NFL's big business, you know, in 2019, it was a 16 billion dollars in revenue 16 billion dollars that's tv deals ticket sales merchandising you name it every owner spends hundreds of million dollars every year on just the players and when they do you have good teams and not so good teams and i ran across an article the other day about the good teams and not so good teams in history for example we all know the great teams right we, we know the great teams the the packers and the 49ers and the Patriots and the Cowboys and the Steelers and those teams have been good for a long time those would be called the goats greatest of all time but this article talked about the woats the worst of all time the worst of all time and it literally listed the worst franchises in the NFL of all time and it used this criteria all-time winning percentage seasons per head coach all-time playoff winning percentage super bowl seasons uh, all pro seasons pro bowler seasons, seasons per championship or super bowl titles mvp super bowl appearances super bowl wins multiple super bowl wins it used all that it gave them all a numerical value and it sorted out and it gave us the five worst nfl franchises of all time are you ready number five the cleveland Browns. Number four, the Cincinnati Bengals. Number three, the Arizona Cardinals. Number two, the Houston Texans. And would you believe the worst team of all time is? No, but it sure seems like it, though, doesn't it? I, I, that's exactly what I expected to see. It's exactly what I expected to see. We need to make top five, the Detroit Lions. Detroit Lions. Here, here's why I find this article interesting. Because you know what? These owners of these teams have invested the same millions of dollars, over time billions of dollars, year after year after year, hundreds of millions of dollars go into these same teams. And yet, with all of those resources pulled, poured into these teams, they are absolutely pitiful, pitiful teams. You know how frustrated an owner is when he puts hundreds of millions of dollars into a team to watch them go 1 in 15? But imagine how God feels. When he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, not so that we could be weak anemic Christians, so that we could power up and be strong. Ephesians 6.10 says, Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. God sent his son Jesus so you could be strong. God raised him from the dead so you could be strong. God gave you this church. God gave you the Holy Spirit so you could be strong. Imagine how disappointed God is. Hold on. Hold on. 
when we're so easily offended. You say, preacher, they hurt my feelings. Can I be honest? Yes, to be honest. People hurt your feelings at work, you don't quit your job. The power of the Almighty God lives within us. And the simplest thing in life causes us to quit. When God told us to power up, you know what he wanted? He wanted strong, tough Christians. You can wise up and get moving. You measure up and get moving. But hey, if you don't power up, you'll quit overnight. And God said, I don't want you to quit overnight. I've invested in you. I, I gave my son for you. I've put the Holy Spirit of God within you. You've got the church. You've got the word. People died so you could get this word in your hands today. God said, power up and toughen up for the kingdom of God. Stop quitting. Stop losing the battle. Stop giving in. Every time the enemy says boo. You want to get moving in the Christian life. Number four, he said this. Look up. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father. With all that we're enabled to do in the Christian life, we can't forget to stop and look up and give thanks to the God who has, he, he listed, who has given us an inheritance that cannot be taken away called heaven who's rescued from us from the dominions and the chains of darkness, who, who has brought us eternally into the family of God, who has forgiven us of our sins as far as the east is from the west, the psalmist said, our sins are forgiven. And Paul said, hear me, with all that wising up and, and powering up, and Paul said the Christian life is not to become a mechanical thing of just learning and doing. Paul said it's a relational thing. So stop to thank God for all he's done in your life. I'm firmly convinced that when we stop and thank God for what he's already done, it makes him want to do more. Close your Bibles and I'm finished. We owe a lot, a debt of gratitude to the one who saved us. When was the last time you looked up and just said, Lord, thank you for all you've done? It was it was 1943 uh, in Rome, Italy, that the Nazi soldiers were combing the streets looking for Jews and anti-fascists to throw in jail and, as you know, eventually kill. They were deporting Jews to concentration camps by the thousands every week. One particular area they are avoided was this, I won't even try to pronounce it, but it was this particular hospital on Tiber Island in Rome. Patients on this, in this hospital were infected with a mysterious K syndrome that caused all kinds of symptoms. It caused coughing fits and convulsions and fevers, and it was highly, highly, highly contagious. And the Nazi soldiers would come there for inspections, but all, all the sick people, man, just would drive them away. They'd hear all the coughing and see the seizures and the and the, and the vomiting and just all that was going on. And the doctors would say, don't stay long, don't stay long. You'll catch it, you'll catch it. And soldiers would come in and barely look behind the door and then leave as soon as they possibly could. And more people in Rome just kept getting this K-syndrome and K-syndrome. There's just one problem. It was totally made up. 
The doctors invented a disease so they could scare the soldiers away and protect the Jews and hide them away. All told, in the rooms and corners and basements and nooks and crannies of this hospital, there were dozens and dozens and dozens of Jews who were saved over the next two years because a couple of doctors decided to invent a disease and save as many lives as they can. What a debt of gratitude those survivors owe to the doctors even if one life was saved. Now multiply that 10,000 times 10,000. And remember to look up when you're moving on in the Christian life. Because it's God who's done all of that for us. I wonder this morning, do you need to get moving? in the Christian life. Would you stand with me? Heads bowed and eyes closed. Heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. First things first, it's time to get moving. Too many are stuck. Too many are stagnant. Too many are going in reverse in the Christian life. Hey, if you're watching online, Jeremy's got a word for you right now. Thank you, Pastor Joel, for that amazing message. Get going, right? Get going. There can't be a disconnect between what you know about the Word of God and what you do. You've got to obey God's Word. I heard one famous preacher one time say it this way, we already know more than we obey. And so we've got to get following Jesus in our obedience. And um, man, my heart has been challenged this morning through the preaching of God's Word, and I hope that yours has too. Maybe you've never started a relationship with Jesus. There's nowhere to go but to Him and straight up in your relationship with Him. And so if that's you this morning, and God has spoken to your heart, and you understand that you're a sinner, you believe that the only way to Jesus, the only way to have a relationship with the Father is through Jesus' finished work on the cross, His death, His burial, and His resurrection. You believe that. And then this morning, you want to confess Him as your Lord and Savior. Then simply right now, if God has spoken to your heart and you need to make that choice, tell God this. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I come to you this morning asking you to forgive me of my sin. I believe that Jesus died, he was buried, and on the third day he rose again, making a way for me to once again have a relationship with him. God, I ask you to come into my heart, be my savior. Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. This morning, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time and your intent is to put your faith and trust in Jesus and give your heart and life to Him, we want to help you. And we want you to know that you're not in it alone. And there's some resources we want to send you. If you would, you can just text uh, my cell phone number. It's 423-800-1871. Um, and that, that'll come straight to my cell phone and I would love to connect with you. Or you can click on the I Commit My Life to Christ button that we've just dropped in the chat box. It has been a wonderful time of worship together and I've been challenged. I hope you have too. And uh, I can't wait to worship with you again next week. 
God bless you. Have a great week. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.